And I'll begin reading at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he do, hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you as we look at this passage that we might draw from it those things that are most pleasing to you, Lord, that we might walk in faith and that we might continue to serve you, Lord. Pray, Father, that you will bless the reading of the scripture and bless also the ministry of it, that we may be faithful in giving out the word of God. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a little bit lengthy passage, and we'll do with it what we can with this time. But the title of the message is simply, Invest in the Best Things. Well, we know that it's always good to make uh, our best investments in life. And we find that as believers, um, as we learn to live and walk in faith, uh, investing in the things of Christ are really the true goal of our walk with God, that we may uh, serve the Lord adequately and, and minister the word carefully and live out that faith which God has given to us. And uh, since this passage does speak about Christian living, investing in the things of Christ that we might live for the glory of God, 
is certainly something that is worth considering. Also, we'd like to look at these three areas along the um, theme, as it is, the elect of God. As we see the elect of God invest in virtues of faith in Christ, we find that there are certain virtues that he mentions here that truly are good things that we might invest in. And in doing so, we find that uh, we can be a blessing in our lives to others and we can really example the life of Christ as we invest in these things. Also, secondly, as the elect of God, invest in love, peace, and thankfulness. Um, Though these are wonderful areas of uh, our walk with God, we know that sometimes they can escape us if we don't act careful to uh, guard them. Uh, such as to have peace and to express that kind of peace to others or the idea of thankfulness and uh, of loving people. So th- these are good as well. Uh, and then thirdly, we're going to look as the elect of God invest in Christ-likeness. Um, so I guess I got the word spelt right this time, didn't I? <laughs> I always make a little error there somewhere in my spelling. Um, I don't have a spell check on the blackboard. <laughs> and I get hurrying in, in my, in my uh, writing, so I, I miss a character every now and then. But Christ-likeness is something that certainly is worthy of, of our uh, discussion and of how that we might live that out in our lives. So these three areas, and then we'll look at the text as fully as we can as we move along. Uh, First of all, in verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Well, uh, as we just look at that brief um, list there, we, we see that they are most worthy for our consideration. Uh, And, of course, uh, noting that he is calling them the elect of God, then he is pointing out something very important to us as believers, isn't he? That God has called us to himself. And, uh, of course, that this uh, idea of being called of God is something that um, every believer is it recognizes because God has done something very special in their lives. They, God has has uh, brought them unto faith, uh, and the the idea of coming to faith in Christ means that we leave behind much of the things that we formerly were attached to, because now faith has taken hold of our hearts. And so by grace we are saved through faith and we find that then we're called upon to walk in faith as well, individually. And so faith uh, has a very important part in our walk. So as, the, as those who have been called of God, elect of God, he says, and he even calls them holy and beloved, 
um, two other words which have a strong context to uh, the walk of faith and to those who love God and are called of God. He says, Holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And so these, these uh, nuggets, if you will, that uh, speak to us are truly the kinds of virtues that every believer would do well to, to know is, is, is truly uh, part of their walk of faith. The tender mercies of God as we think about how God is so loving and tender toward us in the things that that he is uh, working out in our lives. He doesn't chasten us according to his own whim, but rather only as is necessary to correct us and to minister in our lives and to get us on the right track, as it were. Um, In Psalm 103, I'll just read couple of verses here. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he mentions these benefits here. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And of course, uh, what are the soul's diseases, but those areas where we need forgiveness and need healing in our lives who redeem thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Loving kindness and tender mercies. So you see, God dispenses this loving kindness and tender mercies to us. We ought also, as the elect of God, dispense those tender mercies to others. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. So when we think about the kindness that we need to dispense or give out toward others, we know that it is within the context of a relationship with God that we have come to appreciate as being full of grace and mercies toward us. So we ought also to be kind. And the humbleness of God, the humility of God, is something, of course, uh, he has taught us. And within the same selection, of course, here in uh, Philippians and Colossians, um, I will reread a passage which speaks of that humbleness that Jesus examples to us, but made himself of no reputation, Philippians 2.7, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so this uh, idea of um, tender mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and also the long-suffering of God, which leads us to repentance and faith. These are all within the framework of what Christ has done for us. And so, as the elect of God, we we are encouraged also to show these same virtues in our life. In verse 13, he goes on to say, Forbearing one another or bearing long with one another, as we might put it, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And so um, a couple of uh, very important um, words here, or word phrases, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Um, They both end with one another indicating that this should be reciprocal, one to the other. And so we we find that it is good for us to, to bear with one another and to forgive one another. Uh, that this kind of uh, forgiving is, is uh, part of what God would have us to do that we might be pleasing to the Lord as we serve the Lord. Verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4 reads, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32 So here we have the sense of not only forbearing and forgiving, God has has, uh, truly done this for us, we ought also do this for one another. I know some of the time, sometimes we get into um, kind of a situation in our relationships where with people where we don't always see eye to eye. Uh, Things sometimes come up and there is some disagreement or another. Especially perhaps in marriage relationships. And we know that forgiving and forbearing in a relationship is almost, is absolutely essential to maintain a healthy relationship. We have to bear with the people that we love and we have to be forgiving toward the people that we love and if we will do those things we know that this will be a a great asset to any relationship so he says forbearing one another forgiving one another and if, if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do Ye. So he mentions the idea of a quarrel. Well, in personal relationships there's always a possibility of a quarrel. And sometimes um, it can come about and cause kind of a division between people. 
And if I might just give a little personal illustration, there was a situation in my own family where there was a quarrel which came up, not between my wife and I, but in the family. And um, I thought for a very long time that it wouldn't be solved. Um, and, you know, the people that was, you know, in this uh, quarrel, you might say, were believing people, Christians. And it went on for uh, quite a few years. Um, and I prayed about it considerably. And uh, whenever I met the people involved uh, in this quarrel, I, you know, I tried not to um, get into a personal conflict with them. And uh, for the most part, you know, things kind of quieted down, and I thought, well, maybe, uh, maybe they're having a change of mind. But then it would, it would flare up again. Um, and sometimes that happens. Um, and you're kind of wondering, you know, well, what can you do? What can, how can you change it? And, you know, you think about the passages of Scripture that says if you have a quarrel against another, go to them and, and uh, try to make peace with them. And if they will not hear, bring somebody with, uh, with you and go to them and try to make peace. And um, it didn't seem that avenue was open at all because the conflict only grew worse. But um, then just this year, um, one particular party uh, involved had a complete change of heart. And it was such a relief that the uh, reconciliation came about. But it wasn't anything I did that brought about the reconciliation or my wife. Uh, because primarily the uh, just the problem came up on my wife's side of the family, but the Lord somehow worked in the hearts of those those involved, and they completely forgave, and it, it dissolved the whole, neutralized the whole thing. And whenever I meet the people now. It's just like nothing ever happened. And um, I don't take any credit for it at all because it seems that the Lord did the work in the hearts of those who were holding, you know, this, um, div this division in their hearts, this, this adversity and, and uh, quarrelsomeness in their heart. But it was, it was it's, even today, I mean, I'm quite amazed that that all of a sudden it changed. It just completely changed. And I, I, you know, I think that shows the, you know, the the power of God's ability to to work in people's lives when, you know, even though we're not able to do anything ourselves. And here it is: forbearing one another, forgiving one another, even if. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And um, I can honestly say on my part, I was not, I didn't, wasn't holding any kind of a grudge right from the beginning. I just, 
it just seemed to be um, something I couldn't re I couldn't resolve it. I just couldn't. There was nothing I could do. All my wife. Um, but because it was resolved, my wife was very, very relieved uh, because it meant reconciliation between her and the other person, which meant the world to her at the time. So I was very thankful for that. In verse 14, And above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And so this, this idea of, of um, the love of God, of course, is one which is very um, deep and unexhaustible. I mean, how can we exhaust the whole idea of the love of God except to say that it is from God? And so if we put on the love of God, that agape love that forgives and forbears and bears along with people, and is full of tender mercies and kindness and humility of mind and, and meekness and long-suffering. He says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Well, of course, we've all read and, and uh, appreciated the verses there in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And, of course, it's used quite extensively in relationship to marriage, marriage relationships, and so forth. But uh, it has a very broad application. <laughs> we can use that. Um, that idea of love being a very great and blessed principle in our lives. And it will truly do a great work in the hearts of those who, who are willing to put on love in their life. And so as the elect of God in love, peace, and thankfulness, and he mentions peace in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Well, we know the one body principle has to do with the body of Christ and the relationship that believers have to one another in the assembly, the ecclesia, the church. And so he says, let, this, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so as um, the idea of ruling indicates that there is that which overcomes many a conflict, and uh, it reigns over uh, distrust and disharmony and unforgivingness and the kinds of things that usually separate people. And to which also ye are called in one body. And so in the body of Christ we know how valuable this is to, to have the peace of God. Uh, it it uh, is the difference between Joy and um, and to be very sad in, in a way because we know that when there is disharmony in the body of Christ, there is very little peace. And God would have us to have peace within the body of Christ, within the church. And even in our own lives, God really, he definitely wants us to have peace. To which you are 
called in one body and be ye thankful. Uh, many times we see this whole idea of thankfulness being um, talked about in the scripture and how that we are to be thankful uh, because it seems to be right at the basis of the kinds of uh, attitude that draws us closer to God to have a thankful heart, a thankful spirit and uh, it usually comes because we not only are at peace with him but we are at peace with one another and as this passage you know does deal with Christian living, certainly we need to, to do that. In verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Um, so here we have... Um, a wonderful verse that speaks about the relationship that we have with our in our heart toward Christ. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, and so that word that uh, that which is of God that would dwell within us and give us peace and thankfulness and joy. Um, that when that dwells within the heart of the believer in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, when we think about this area, this area of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, um, of course the psalms were a great deal of comfort in the Old Testament and still are in the New. The hymns often speak to us of how that we are extolling the blessing and virtues of God. And the spiritual songs often talk about our walk of faith and um, how that we uh, have a spiritual walk with God. And so as we look at this, there is a certain harmony within this great melody, if you will, of joyfulness that the scripture brings to the heart of each believer. And uh, so that is truly um, a great blessing. Trying to look at a verse here in, um, I think it is in the book of James that it talks about this as well. Um, if I can get my eye on it quickly. Well, I don't seem to see it right off quick. But I think there is another verse in the book of James that talks about the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Anybody remember where it is? James 1, verse 1. Well, not necessary. I can't find it immediately. No sense delaying. Uh, but these three... Uh, you might say it's a harmony, it's a, it's a symphony, it's, a, it's the choir, it's the choir of spiritualness when we think about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, I could be wrong about the book of James, but I thought it was in the book of James, but it doesn't matter. Um, the whole idea is 
Well, I know when we often have the choir practice and we come together, one of the things I try to tell the, the choir members is that when you're singing, listen to the person next to you and try to blend your voice with the person next to you. Because when you do that, you sound like you're, you're all singing with the same voice. There is a certain, and of course, if you're able to sing um, different parts within the choir, such as alto and tenor and bass and soprano, if you're able to sing all those various parts, well, there's, a, there's just a harmonious blend of, of voices to sing. And can you imagine a church that is like that? That they're listening to one another, that they, they have this harmonious blend of fellowship one with another, and they're, they're making such joyful melody in their hearts to the Lord that they're all in one unit, unison, they're in unity, and they're in joyfulness together in Christ. But it just sounds like the perfect situation, doesn't it? Um, almost like heaven, we might say, because we would expect, you know, the heavenly choirs to be like that, um, making such a beautiful melody in their hearts to the Lord. And um, he says, with singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so the grace of God, uh, grace toward one another, grace toward, uh, grace given to us by God that we might be able to bless each other in this great symphony of faith. In verse 17, And whatever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So uh, he mentions thankfulness in verse 15, and now again thankfulness in verse 17. And so this, uh, this, uh, this thankfulness is to uh, permeate the whole body of Christ, the whole church, uh, our relationships. And whatever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, so we are to do that, aren't we? Whatever we enter into, we are to do it in the name of Jesus as when we come into the church and in our walk of faith. And he says, giving thanks to God and the Father. Well, this last area, um, invest as the elect of God in Christ's likeness. Um, there is these relationships that we have in the body of Christ that he mentions, and then there is the relationships that we have in the family. And then, of course, the last one that he mentions is relationship um, in kind of like a, a work relationship or um, the kind of relationships we have outside of the home. But uh, in verses 18 through 21, um, this is a kind of an admonition to the whole family to work on that work relationship, that, that harmony of a relationship. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is in the Lord. And we would have to stress the last verse, part of that verse, as it is in the Lord. Um, 
uh, uh, fit in the Lord. And we know Ephesians chapter 5 also talks about the husband and the wife relationship uh, as an example of Christ in the church. So we know that this relationship is one that has to be in the Lord. And, um, you know, sometimes there is uh, difficulties in even marriage relationships, but they, they usually work out better when both people realize that they are in the relationship that God has given them. And as they have that relationship, then they can, they can work through it if they're willing to do it as unto Christ. Uh, so husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So, you know, the wives are to recognize the authority in the home. The husbands are to realize of, um, that the wife is a, uh, a very important part of the home and that uh, he should not treat her in any ill way, but rather treat her with great respect and care. And then he mentions uh, the children as well. He goes wives and husbands and then children. And he mentions obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And so the idea of children obeying in parents, of course, is that they realize of the authority that the parents have over them and that they are only doing what is good for them and that they should uh, yield to the parents and be pleasing to the Lord as they do that. And then even brings in fathers here. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And so if fathers are considerate of children, children considerate of parents, husbands considerate of wives, and wives considerate of husbands, where again we see that relationship, that whole unit and bond of the home is one which is running in true harmony with God and his word. I know a lot of times these uh, issues come up in the, the family relationship and there's always some kind of, seems like some kind of a, almost a, uh, an argument going on between these different groups of people. Um, but it's usually it's because um, that they're not submitting unto the Lord and not seeking the, the, what the Lord designs for them as a, in a marriage relationship, whether it's children or whether it's uh, the spouses. In the last uh, few verses here, uh, also concerning the Christians' living, living relationships, we find he mentions servants. He says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And, uh, of course, um, thankfully, we don't have a servitude culture now, at least not in the sense that it was talked about here in uh, the first century, at least not in the United States. Well, we know that there are still servant relationships in other countries. Um, Kind of a little humorous quip uh, actually happened um, when my children were quite a bit younger. They were visiting their aunt, and uh, um, there were some other members of the family visiting 
they aren't as well. And they were from Venezuela. And so they came stateside and they were visiting. And my children, they were all in the same room together, kind of, you know, doing what children do, watch TV and eating and talking and all that kind of thing. And one of the children from Venezuela uh, spoke to one of the other children and um, in a very kind of servant way wanted them to go serve them and said something very kind of flippantly about, about them going and getting something for them because that's what they were used to in Venezuela. They had servants at home. But in America, we, you know, obviously we don't have servants here. <laughs> at least not in that setting. <laughs> and um, so one of the children immediately popped up and says, go get it yourself. <laughs> and, <clears throat> you know, sometimes what children can say between themselves is kind of like, oh, all right, <laughs> that isn't going to work. <laughs> so they had to go get it themselves. <laughs> but the... Uh, yeah, if we was in the first century and faced with this kind of thing, it would be quite, we'd be like a duck out of the water, so to speak, or fish out of the water. We, we, um, I'm sure we wouldn't know what to do. But as um, this subject came up in Paul's day, everybody knew what it meant to be a servant of somebody. Servants obey in all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or men pleases, and we understand what those are, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And so the, the, the thrust of the statement is to say this, fear God in your service to man. Fear God in your service to man. And that has some application even today. We realize that those that we are somehow involved with and and um, maybe working for or have some relationships to people if we don't have the right attitude in our, uh, in our work or our service for others, uh, it will show. And so he says that as much as saying, you know, take this under your consideration. In verse 23, and whatever ye do in do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So it's kind of like saying, well, remember who you're really serving here. You, you know, you may, be, you may be working for somebody else, but you're supposed to be doing what you do as unto the Lord and not unto man. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. And so uh, we're, we're familiar with the concept of being a bond slave of Christ. I mean, I, would, I guess we would say Paul considered himself such, wouldn't we? He considered himself a, a willing servant of the Lord uh, to do the things that he was doing and to minister even as he was. And if we have the proper attitude concerning our relationships with the Lord, then the proper attitude of our relationships to others will come in line. 
But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect to persons. Well, certainly with God there is no respect to persons. And we do know that if we would receive a reward according to the inheritance God requires of us, then we must be faithful in our relationships to Christ and unto Christ and, of course, to others. So he covers really quite a territory here in this area of Christian living. And if we invest in these kinds of things, such as um, the tender mercies and kindness and humility of mind, the meekness and the long-suffering, the forbearing and the forgiving, and uh, the love and peace of God which should rule in our hearts, and take into consideration that all these things work together to a great harmony to which God would have us to know in the church and in our relationships, verse 16, then when we come together as individuals, we find that we will know how to interact with people and be able to serve the Lord as we should. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, do impress upon us the things that we need to hear most and apply them to our hearts, Lord, as you are able to take the scriptures and minister it to us that we might be more Christ-like in our life, that it may be to the glory and praise of God. In Jesus' name, amen.